Good end of the morning. It's almost noon to all of you. My name is Wabi Holt, sister right there. And um, that was my name, given my own pronouncement, until I was about, what do you think, mom, third grade? Wabi Holt until about third grade. So every now and then I like to remember that for a few years I announced myself as Wabi Holt. Um, Today we're uh, talking about prayer again. And here's what you're going to do for the next five minutes at your table. How, how many of you were, were here last week? Raise your hand if you were here last week. Okay, if you were here last week, you got to carry the load at your table. The, the first question everybody can answer, okay? And I want you to, uh, you don't have to answer, but you can't answer. You can say pass or you can answer. And the first question is simply this. Um, prayer is easy for me hard for me. Um, Anything you want to say about yourself in prayer, go around the table and say that first. Don't talk for five minutes because this is the whole table. has got about five to eight minutes right now. Um, But just, and and maybe use two or three sentences. Like right now I'm really enjoying prayer, but for like 20 years it didn't make any sense to me. Whatever's true, just share that right now at your table. So, and that's what you're going to talk about. uh, And then I'm going to give you another assignment. So talk about that just for, just for a couple of minutes, just your own experience of prayer um, oh, sorry. And the second thing you're talking about is this past week, you were supposed to do acts. Those of you who heard last week, so you were supposed to practice doing um, adoration, then confession, then thanksgiving, then supplication, and just talk about that. I did or I did not do my homework. It's fine to say I didn't do it. Um, or I did it and it was super frustrating. I did it. It was very helpful, whatever the truth is. So talk about yourself, about prayer in general, and then about your homework of doing acts. Go. Okay. All right. Next question, and you got like three minutes and not everyone needs to share. Uh, I'm assuming you read your Hebrews 4 and your Psalm 138. If you haven't talked about about that already, how did reading those passages and meditating on those passages help you pray uh, this past week? And if you didn't pray, how might they have helped you? Anyway, if if you did pray, share that. If you did, you meditate on Hebrews 4. 14 through 16, and Psalm 138. That was also part of your homework. So how, how did that inform your prayer this week? You got three minutes. Only maybe one or two people can share. All right. Thank you for sharing with one another. Now let's look at uh, today's lesson a little bit. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer as it's uh, given to us from the Lord uh, in Matthew 6. And I wonder how many here, how many, raise your hand if you enjoy futility. Anybody, anybody really like uh, futility? Anybody? All right. Uh, anyone, anyone, in this, anyone in this room like to win? Anyone here like, enjoy winning? Anybody? Yeah, I know. I was looking for my mom, mom, mother's hand to go up. She's very competitive. Um, <laughs> anyway, and I, of course I'm not. And neither is Laura Tucker. Um, so, um, so look, before we read the Lord's Prayer, okay, I just want to make one brief comment about it that I hope will arrest us and help us. And this might be the main thing we talk about today. But in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, the disciples are watching Jesus' prayer life, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and what we have here in Matthew's version, there's a parallel in Luke's. Jesus begins saying, our Father 
in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's where he begins in prayer. Our Father in heaven, your name be set apart. Your glory is what matters. All right, now that's a, that, that, he's setting the direction of our prayer lives with that statement. Okay, and we'll talk about our Father, and we'll talk about in heaven. Um, but uh, hallowed be thy name. You could translate that phrase, let your name be hallowed. May your name be set apart. So when you hear that phrase, your name, O Lord, your name be hallowed, what, what other scriptures come to mind when you hear that? Anything else? Any, any themes in the Bible or any, any portions of the Bible like kind of jump out at you and make you say, oh yeah, that kind of sounds like, like this. Who can wait longer? Robbie? Hallowed be thy name. Your glory is what matters. Your, your name, your reputation, your glory. Set that apart. That's what matters. Does that, does that have... Any, any, yeah, any other place? Yeah, the Psalms. Is there any other place? So, so when Jesus says this, this is before his death and resurrection. So there is no New Testament written yet. So use the Old Testament. Is there anything that kind of comes to mind when Jesus says, here's how I want you to pray? Turn to the Father and say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Is that anything that resonate from other parts of the scripture? Ingram said the Psalms, absolutely. The end of Daniel, Deuteronomy, okay. Yeah, these are big, big books as whole, and you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, when Yahweh reveals himself to Moses because he's going to redeem Israel and keep his covenant, and he reveals his name, Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I'm the one who's come to redeem you. I'm going to take you as my people. I'm keeping my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here we go. Whoop, whoop. That's, it's a great connection. Anything else? Ten, ten commandments. The third commandment, right? The third commandment, do not use the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain, which, by the way, doesn't say don't use it. Don't use it in vain, right? Don't bear it. Actually, the Hebrew word there is bear it. So don't bear it in vain. Um, don't be a liar about God's glory. Which The third commandment is basically you're made in God's image. Live like you love God. Love your neighbor. And then you reflect the glory of God. But when you're not living like that, you're actually lying about God. Because you actually can't not be reflecting who God is. That's who you are. Being made in God's image means that you and I, we exist to reflect the glory of God. So now we're looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and Psalm 8 and the third commandment. So actually our whole existence is about the glory of God. So what's the definition of sin that Paul gives us in Romans 3? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here's what it means to be a human. God created you and he put you in a shaft and he aimed you at a target. You're an arrow. And the target, the, the purpose of our existence is to aim at the glory of God. That's why we exist. That's actually a really important message for all, all, all at all ages because it's true. But, but we live in an age that is absolutely drunk on self-glory. Just absolutely. And, and we're buried under layers of pits and traps of image, right? 
And so here's the lie we've believed. We've actually believed we exist for our own image and our own glory, and that's trapped us in all kinds of exhausting patterns because we think that our image is a project. From the very beginning of the Bible, God says, you are made in my image. You have a royal calling. You reflect my glory. You are a creature. I made you from the dust of the earth. You're not God. You're not the center of all things, but you are above all the rest of my creatures and you're above my whole creation. You have the dignity of reflecting my glory and it's why you exist. You exist for my glory. And actually that's a lot higher than like building impressive uh, hills with neat tunnels under them. Oh, ant. Ants are impressive, but you're way more impressive. You you exist to reflect my glory. Does that make sense? It's the absolute meaning of our existence. We exist for the glory of God. We exist to reflect His glory. We we exist to uh, show forth His glory. That's why we exist. So when Jesus prays the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, He's actually renewing us and rebuilding us as God's image bearers. He's recovering God's purpose for us. As a matter of fact, our Father in heaven, so in the way they understood the world, in heaven meant that's where God ruled and reigned, his throne room, right? If you, went, if you could go into heaven, you're going into a royal throne room where Yahweh sits on his throne and everyone does his business. That's the, that's the ancient world picture of heaven. It's a throne room, Right? Um, And so our Father in heaven takes you into the throne room, and when you're in the throne room, what the most impressive thing is the presence and the glory of God. That's why Isaiah 6 is another parallel passage to this, right? Laura's thinking it. She was thinking it. Um, Isaiah um, 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, it's a royal scene. Isaiah is in Jerusalem in the royal city. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he, they covered their faces because they couldn't look at God's glory. With two, they covered their feet because their feet couldn't be in the presence of God. With two, they're hovering, staying in God's presence. And what are they doing? They're saying, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh, right? Um, is Yahweh of hosts. And then what's the next line? Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, right? Okay, so that sounds like a very familiar psalm. So if you went to Psalm 72 and read Psalm 72, verse 19, that's the end of uh, David's psalms, though there's some David psalms later, but uh, it ends one of the books of the Psalter, and that's where King David basically says it's a a capstone verse for that whole book, and um, not just that one psalm, but the whole section of psalms, may the whole earth be filled with your glory, amen and amen. Um, End of book two, I think, one of those, or three, um, in the Psalter. Um, Isaiah 11, 9 has almost the exact same phrase, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How well... How thoroughly do the waters cover the sea? You know, that's, that's an amazing image. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Like, right? Completely, right? Um, Habakkuk 2.14 says the same thing. Um, actually, in Numbers, remember, in, in, after the Exodus, uh, Catherine's great example of the revealing of the, of the redeeming name of God, Yahweh. Um, God leads his people through Sinai, Right? 
uh, to Sinai. They're there. They get all, you know, they get, you know, the Ten Commandments and all this legislation with the tabernacle, et cetera, et cetera. And they're being prepared to go into the promised land. And then Yahweh leads them through the wilderness to the promised land. And the first generation is like, wait a minute, there's some big giants over there. I don't think we're going to go and get that inheritance, that, that gift that Yahweh has promised us. We're afraid of that. And so Yahweh says, fine, your kids will get it. And so that generation goes in the wilderness for 40 years. And here's what Yahweh says to them in the book of Numbers. He says, as surely as the earth will be filled with my glory, you won't go in, but your kids will. So it's all through the Old Testament, right? Um, that, that that's why I asked you, do you like um, futility? Okay, if you're praying for the glory of God to come into your life and into all things, and for you to mature as someone who's reflecting the glory of God, those won't be futile prayers because that is God's plan for you in all things. Does that make sense? That's a very, very big picture. Uh, here's a little side note. Um, this, this, uh, this course is going to get way more practical after I'm done, okay, because, you know, I'm the big picture guy. And if people come after me, they do all kinds of practical stuff. So if you like really practical stuff, your day's coming. Uh, but I'm going to stay in the big picture because, you know what, this is God's world. This is God's world. And a big, big chunk of your prayer life actually working the way it's supposed to work is in God, in prayer and God's presence, we wake up to God is the most important thing. He's better than any of the gifts that we might be asking him to give us. He's better than any of the things that we want him to do. There's nothing better than God himself. And until your heart is satisfied with the presence of God and the glory of God, nothing that you're asking for that he might give you will ultimately satisfy you. You were made for the glory of God and to experience the presence of God. And, and that's why you exist. And one day, what I'm saying right now that we, that we do believe together right now, one day, what I'm saying right now is going to become so inescapably obvious. Right? When Jesus comes back in all of his glory, there will be no fogginess about what the, mo- the big point of our lives was. Zero all the fog will dissipate, and we will be like, why did I waste any of my moments worrying about lots and lots and lots of things that were never important? Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the whole of your lives. He does. God does care about you and your children and your neighbors and your neighborhood and all kinds of things. I'm not saying that God cares about spiritual stuff, not concrete stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying all the things of your life are really about the glory of God. All things exist for God's glory. And one day, everything will reverberate with God's glory, and your prayer life is about aligning your heart with that big, big, big reality. That's really what your prayer life is about. Your, your, your prayer life is about attunement and alignment, and that's more important than getting answers. Does that make sense? Your prayer life is about alignment and attunement, and that's more important than getting answers, and it's often why God says no. I'm asking for X, he won't give me X because what he's up to in his grace and patience and mercy is aligning my heart with his glory because his glory is better than the gifts he gives from his glory. And that's why Jesus starts this way in prayer. So here's what we're going to do. Okay, we're going to practice adoration. Okay, you did, you did Acts and someone asked an excellent question earlier, what's the difference between adoration and thanksgiving? That's a really great question. Adoration is worship 
You know, I'm adoring. Sometimes I adore Chrissy, right? I adore her, and sometimes I even remember to say thank you for things. Okay, those aren't the same things. They're directed to the same person, but when I'm adoring Chrissy, I'm appreciating great things about her and maybe even getting them out of my mouth, you know, and saying uh, words of affirmation. Uh, that's adoration, okay? Thanksgiving is thank you, honey, for cooking that excellent meal. It's one of the reasons I adore you, but thank you for doing that thing. So that's the difference, right? Um, okay, so here's what you're going to do. At your table, you're going to take 60 seconds and no one's going to talk, not even me, and for 60 seconds, you're going to sit and you can flip through the Psalms if you want to or just be quiet. And I want you to think to yourself three or four reasons that you adore God. Things about God that are awesome. Why he is great. You write down three or four things during the 60 seconds of quiet. And after that, I'm going to open us in prayer and then at your table, the only thing you're allowed to do is praise God for those things that you wrote down. Don't go ask him for anything, okay? Don't say anything else. Just say, Lord, we love you and adore you for these things. Does that make sense? 60 seconds, write down three, at least three or four things for which you adore God. It's around your table. Then I'm going to close this in prayer and give thanks for our food, and we're going to go eat. Okay, all right. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, you are worthy to be worshiped and adored. Please hear us now as we praise your name and offer our prayers through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, friends. Uh, you may have thought you were done with me, but have you ever heard of the thing that wouldn't leave? We're, we're not done. So while you're eating, you can keep eating. Um, I'm going to cover a couple more things about the Lord's Prayer, um, and so, and 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 I'm going to I'm going to let you eat while I talk for a minute, and then you're going to talk some more and pray some more at your table. Um, when I was in high school, I was in a group of guys. We were in accountability, and we're still in accountability. So I'll get 80 texts from those friends today uh, at minimum. Um, and so, and you know, one lives in Durham, North Carolina. Two still live on Lookout Mountain. One lives here in Birmingham, and one lives in Florida, but that's why it's text. You know, we're all over the place. Um, but uh, when we were in high school, um, we lived on Lookout Mountain, and we lived on the West Brow, and so our house kind of overlooked the city going west, and it was, so you got great sunsets, pretty great. Um, and in our backyard, there was a bridge that went over, like kind of a ravine between our yard, and then there were these rocks like a cliff, basically, like our own private cliff. It was pretty great. So if you've ever been to like Sunset Rock, Lookout Mountain, something kind of like that was in our backyard. It was pretty great. And so we would, we would go down there on Friday mornings, our accountability group, and we would pray. And we all had our places. And I, would, I, had, a, I had a set of like little holes in rocks that like it just fit my body. It probably wouldn't today, but, but, but when I weighed 125 pounds, it's a perfect fit. Anyway, so I'd lie there and I would pray on Friday mornings. And so one of my friends... Uh, his dad, Frank, uh, came one time, and I'll never forget it because he had just gotten a new job, and he was probably about my age then. He had a he had a very nice navy suit on and tie, you know, and he came across our walking bridge. It rained a little bit, and that bridge could be a little slick, and he slipped and like slid like you know because the bridge you know went like that, and he fell and slid down, and I'll never forget it. it was great. He, but he still came out there in the morning, soaking wet. <clears throat> 
And here's what I really remember what was really important. He came out there and he said, I know we say the Lord's Prayer together every Sunday, and we did in worship. He said, have you ever considered this as a pattern meant to direct your prayer life? And we were like, no, we've never thought of that. And so he began to teach us how to use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern so that we could learn to pray as if the Lord in his wisdom had given all of us a pattern to teach us how to pray, which is exactly what Jesus did. And it just hadn't dawned on me, but then it did. And so that's what, that's what your homework is going to be. Your homework is going to be praying through the Lord's Prayer, not saying it like we say it on Sunday mornings, but going through the Lord's Prayer line by line, stopping and, and having said that line, then stopping and doing what that line supposes that you're doing. Like what we just a minute ago, we talked about hallowing God's name, then you stopped, wrote down reasons that you adore God, and then you began to adore God. Now, I did listen a little bit. I didn't eavesdrop too much on prayer. I heard a, I heard a decent, amount of, decent amount of, Lord, we thank you that, which is totally fine. It's not wrong. Uh, it's not wrong. Um, but just, just note this with me. Adoring God, sitting in God's presence, and worshiping God for who He is can be very challenging. Sitting in God's presence, tuning into His greatness and His glory. Remember, alignment, attunement. I'm now tuned in to God's glory and his greatness, and I'm either silently in God's presence enjoying his greatness or articulating, that's adoration. I'm acknowledging, verbally acknowledging God's greatness. So that's what adoration is. And and when you do this prayer, this thing is driving me crazy, by the way. Um, And when you do this prayer, I I want you to push, push yourself to practice that. I I bet everyone in this room has cultivated some good habits and some bad habits. And habits habits are, um, you ought to have good habits, right? Good habits lead to life and bad habits lead to death. And so it's not bad or unspiritual to practice adoring God, to practice praising God. That isn't bad. That's actually what we do every Sunday. We begin the week practicing praising God. It doesn't mean we're not really doing it. Uh, But the liturgy helps us praise and worship God and teaches us how to do it. Does does that mean we're not actually seeing God's praise? No, we are. But also just the order of it kind of instructs our hearts and instructs our minds and moves us in a direction. And so uh, I commend this pattern to you. Okay, so here's the second thing I want to talk about real briefly, and that's uh, not only adoration and affection, but the kingdom of God and submission. All right? So uh, Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, let your name be hallowed. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, how's God's will done in heaven? Yeah, perfectly, immediately, all the time, no gaps, right? Right, every, you know... Yeah, yeah. Uh, when, when God gives commands from his heavenly throne room in heaven, everyone obeys him, even Satan. Right? So uh, what Jesus is teaching us to pray is, Oh, Father, <laughs> you're great. 
And your glory is the center of all things. And we want your ways, that they're perfectly done in heaven, we want your ways to come and permeate all things on earth. So this isn't dualism where God cares about your quiet spiritual life over here and he doesn't care about your body, he doesn't care about food, he doesn't care about children. That's not at all what this is saying, right? This is pulling the glory of God and the authority of God into all things. Does that make sense? Okay, uh, do you know that the Bible teaches that the kingdom of God has already arrived in the person and work of Jesus Christ, but it's not been consummated yet? Does that make that language make sense? The, the kingdom's already arrived in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and one day the king will return, and when the king returns, the kingdom that's been inaugurated, it will be brought to perfection, right? So this part of prayer, you're just praying to that end. Does that make sense? You're asking uh, for that ultimate reality to be brought into your life more and more, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, in the r- real, see where there was, Wabi Holt, in the real warp and woof of your present life. You're saying, Oh, Father, your ways are good, and I want your good ways to break into my life more and more, all my relationships, all my activities, every area of life. So just for a minute, think about this. What areas of your life don't belong to King Jesus? Let's go ahead and write all this down. You should be done, right? Right. There are no areas of your life that don't belong to King Jesus, right? There aren't any. There's no, there's, this is God's creation. You are God's creation. Right? There's nothing that doesn't belong to God. Right? Um, one of my son's favorite uh, sitcoms moments comes from The Simpsons. Um, and so, if you ever, how many people here, listen a minute, how many of you ever watched The Simpsons? It's kind of a guy show. It, you weren't allowed to? Of course not. Awesome. Okay. So, you should go back and watch The Simpsons because it's theologically interesting a lot. Here's this one moment where they believe the end of the world is coming. They, I think it's an asteroid. They think an asteroid's going to come and destroy the earth. And you know what happens? Everyone's freaking out because an asteroid's coming to, to run the earth. And everyone's like, ah, oh, the end of the earth is coming. And there's a bar and a church. And as the asteroid is you know, barely towards the earth, everyone leaves the bar and runs to the church. And they run past people leaving the church, going to the bar. That's really interesting. Um, that's super Super interesting. There, there, isn't, there isn't a place that God doesn't claim, right? And so if you go to religious spaces but don't think God cares about all of your life, that's not better than going to non-religious spaces and thinking God doesn't care about the whole of your life, right? The most important thing, like I'm a pastor and I really like the church and I think you should be a member of a church and worship in the church and grow spiritually in the church, but the most important thing is not about what, what buildings you go in and out of. Right? There's something deeper than that. Okay, so uh, this prayer teaches us about aligning our affections with the glory of God and then submitting the whole of our lives to the arriving, the coming kingdom of God. Okay? So let's, let's, lose it. let's use an example, and then I'm going to get you to talk and pray at your table. Let's say there's something, let's say that you are married, and for example, let's say you have three children, and let's say there's something about your middle child that you're praying for very, very 
intently. It's something that you, it's very important to you and rightly so. And as a, and as a mother, you're dialed in and you're really praying for this thing for your, for your, for your middle child, right? Um, sometimes I'm a, I'm a dad and I have kids and grandkids. Um, I, you know, I pray for my children and grand and grandkids too. Um, sometimes there's things that we're asking for, for them. Um, and, and, and we're asking that they'd be spared, um, things like embarrassment. We want them to, want them to be successful. We want them, we want God to help them navigate through a struggle, through a problem. And those are all perfectly good and fine. Right. Um, but in God's sovereignty and providence, sometimes what God wants for us and our children is to walk us right through those struggles and sorrows because he's doing something in them and for them and in and for us because of them that we would never, ever, ever ask for. God is often up to things that are way bigger right, way above, way beyond what we would ask for. And a lot of times there's things that we would never ask for uh, that we experience, right? Um, And so if we want our prayer life to be aligned with God and attuned with God, uh, one thing that's deeply significant is to recognize the kingdom of God is coming. And what we we really want is our children to love and celebrate that fact and participate in that fact, and, and in the Bible, the people that, that jump in and love and celebrate the kingdom of God, they're often very poor. They're often very sick. They're often way out on the margins. They're often the kind of people who don't get invited to parties. And so you need to think about the challenge of the kingdom for your prayer life because God might have a, a really significant plan for you and your children that will make life more difficult. I just wanted to say that because the kingdom of God is better. When God's kingdom arrives in its fullness, it's way better than all the things that we're hoping for and asking for. And at the end of the day, we want our children to enjoy that with us, and that's more important than anything else. Um, okay, so here's what I want you to do for a minute. Okay, I want you to go back to one thing you adored God for. Okay, so uh, on your paper, don't circle one thing yet. But think about how one of the things that you named reflects something that's great about God. And because God is good and great, you want his ways to come into the world more and more. You want his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. By the way, do you think the Father's going to answer that prayer that Jesus taught us how to pray? Is God's will going to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Yeah, and ultimately ultimately perfectly when the kingdom arrives in all its fullness, right? So... Jesus has us praying toward that great end. So I want you to take one thing that you adored God for, okay, on your list of three or four or eight things that you you wrote down, and turn that into a prayer, right? Lord, I adore you for your wisdom. You're you're a wise and compassionate God. Okay, I just did two, and I adore you for that and love you for that. And so I want your wisdom and compassion to take over my marriage because when I get when my husband and I fall into that trap that we fall into every Thursday night, the last thing we do is treat relate to each other like mature people with wisdom. We go into this pattern. You know, it's like Lord. So please bring your wisdom and your compassion there. Does that make sense? So you're going to think about on your list of things that you listed. You're going to pick one or two things that for which you already adored God. And in a minute. 
what you're going to do at your table is you're going to pray and ask God to bring his ways into your life in very specific ways because you want his kingdom, his good ways to come into your life in specific ways. Does that make sense? Is that confusing? Everybody got it? All right, so now take 30 seconds and pick one of those things that you adored God for. And then just a second, you're going to take turns praying. And remember, it's not that everybody has to pray, and I recommend praying short prayers. Does that make sense? Pray two or three sentence prayers. Be focused. All right? And I'm, let me open some prayer, and then you, you do it. Ready? Let's pray. Father, we do adore you because you're great. You're good. Worthy to be worshipped. And we want your ways to overtake our ways. So hear us now as we, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives, even as it's done in heaven. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers and help us one more time see the pattern that you have laid out for us here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. At the very bottom, um, this is uh, on Wednesday nights recently. This is three weeks of training in one session, so sorry for that. All right, now just, just note the, the, the way that Jesus' prayer ends is still about the kingdom, but it's about supplication, asking for things. So just note the pattern, because this is your homework for this coming week, to use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. Noting that you're God's child, noting that he's reigning from his throne, you move into adoration, Right, And then submission, asking that God's ways take over all of our ways, and then move into asking for things. Now, I don't know about, about you, but sometimes when I go instinctively into prayer, I start asking for stuff, which is not wrong. It is not wrong. We need, God has, totally fine to ask. And he's generous and kind and loves to bless his children. I just want us to see the pattern, adoration, Alignment with the kingdom, submission, and then asking for stuff, okay? So um, here's how the prayer ends. Having done the, fir the first two, give us this day our daily bread, our, not give me this day my daily bread. That's really interesting. God loves to relate to his people as a corporate people. We love to relate to God as a completely isolated individual, <laughs> That's cultural. That is it. Nearly as biblical as our culture assumes it. Um, give us this day our daily bread is very corporate. So that means if you are connected to people in the body of Christ who lack and you don't lack, you have a joyful responsibility to meet their needs. Um, and so, but, but give us this day our daily bread. And then forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, forgive us, and thank you, Lord, for making us a gracious, a gracious community of forbearance and patience and forgiveness. Isn't it funny about like putting that sentence in your lips? You're like, uh-oh. Forgive us this day as we have forgiven our debtors, but just not my husband, you know what I mean? <laughs> and not, that, not my oldest child who's been such a freaking, you know, uh-uh. Forgive us this day because you're really forgiving and gracious, and let's not think about 
Now, now just don't misunderstand this line. Uh, this line does not mean that you earn God's forgiveness. It doesn't mean that at all. Um, uh, but and the Bible talks about this a lot, but that's not today's lesson. Okay, uh, forgive us this day as we have forgiven others. But it's amazing that Jesus puts that sentence in our lips. It's, it reminds us that we're forgiven and that we're called to live profound lives of forgiveness. And I do want to underline just that one thing. Forgiveness is costly. And we're in a posture of prayer, so it's when you're talking to the Lord about things that may not be as true of you as they ought to be, then you're in the right place. And then here's how it ends. A confession of weakness. Do you see it? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is teaching his disciples, how to pray, and he's taken us into the very heavenly throne room and said, God's the Father and you're his children. His glory is the center of all things. His kingdom has arrived and it is coming. Align your lives with that. Come to him with your needs. Remember you're forgiven. Be a forgiving person. Now charge! Not what he says. He puts a confession of weakness in our mouths. There's never a place where Jesus says, you know what, temptation is not a big deal, sin's not a big deal, so off you go, you'll be fine. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a confession of weakness. So what that's doing is sowing into our heart of heart some deep sobriety about what I really need and how strong I really am. Now, a mature Christian is growing, waxing in God confidence. God is able. God is mighty. He can protect me. He can do all things. But a strong, maturing Christian is not filled with self-confidence. Right? Bold confidence in God and his abilities, right? A sober assessment of my spiritual reality. You can't be really close and intimate and familiar with God and think you're all that in a bag of chips. I mean, it just it doesn't work, right? If you're drawing near to God now, you're going to get a ton of great gospel affirmation that you're deeply loved, that your sins are paid for, that you belong to God, that you're sealed in Christ and all things that are his belong to you. That's great. And that's all about God and his goodness, right? And, and that's super affirming and wonderful and encouraging and can give you with confidence. But the wrong conclusion to draw from that is now I can go, now I can go apart from God and I will be mighty and strong and I don't need his help. That would be the false conclusion. Does that make sense? And so Jesus here is giving us a pattern for prayer because he's teaching us how to think of God and how to think of ourselves, right? And the, the mightiest Christians who've done the most impressive things, uh, they were big godders, and they weren't thinking or talking about themselves very much. And that's the, that's the, that's the fruit of the pattern of this prayer. And so that's how we're going to end today. Um, we got four more minutes. So um, look at your homework. It's the bottom of that page.
homework. Meditate on those things. I'm going to say one word about meditation, and then you're going to end your time praying together, okay? This says meditate on these Psalms, 32, 51, 60, and 61, and then use the Lord's Prayer 15 minutes, five different times. So you're, you're ramping up your homework. You're doing more than this past week. Um, and if you didn't do last week's, do, use those numbers, you know, seven minutes, four times a week. You know, just start where you are and build up. That's the goal. Um, but, but meditate. Um, meditate doesn't mean um, read it carefully and study for key words, right? Uh, meditate is uh, to read carefully, read slowly, and take it, take it in like a good slow meal. That's meditation. Meditation is a prayerful reading, a prayerful engagement with the passage. Meditation, Christian meditation, is not something you do apart from God's presence. It's something you do in God's presence. So that's a prayerful uh, approach to Scripture where you're chewing on it slowly in God's presence, prayerfully asking God to show you what you need to see for that day. Okay, that's meditation. It's a deep, slow engagement with, the, with God in the Scripture, right? Something you're doing in God's presence. All right, here's how you're going to close in prayer. What I'd love for you to do is uh, ask God for whatever you need. So take 10 seconds and think about that. And remember that the passages we didn't read today are from Galatians 4 and Romans 8. Uh, in Christ, you are God's adopted daughters. You do belong to him. He does love you. He is a generous and kind father and loves to bless his children. His best blessing, blessing would be to align your heart with his glory, to align your, your life and your heart with his kingdom, and then on top of that, give you other things. And that order really matters. So I just want you to take the last couple of minutes and pray and ask God for whatever you need because he loves you and he's a generous father. Let me open this and then you close at your table. Father in heaven, thank you for these, your daughters whom you love, for whom you sent your son. Thank you for wooing them to yourself through your mighty spirit because you love them deeply. Please grant all of us deep attunement with your glory, great alignment with your kingdom, and also hear our request now because you're good.